On a world spinning its way to damnation amidst the fear and despair of a broken human race, who is left to fight for what's good and pure? It's time for Night Rule. My name is Isaac. I'm extremely pleased to be joined by a power panel. We've got uh, musician, creative soul, Napoleon de Legend, as well as professor and campus rogue, Harvey JK. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks. As I said before, I'm going to sing... I'm going to make music today. And, and I'm going to speak about Napoleon, history. Yeah. <laughs> Napoleon's going to talk about history, right? All right. Just uh, hum me a few bars. Let's get a jam session going here. Because, you know, according to jam law, like really anything goes in a jam. Yeah. Well, lately I've been humming, at, at, not lately, at times I've been humming uh, the Star Wars theme because my six-year-old grandson is very keen on that. But mm. <clears throat> I'm not sure I can pull it off on, on, in public. One of these days, we're going to get you on mic for a, for a Star Wars commentary track. I think that would be a fun time because I know people are really interested in your thoughts on, you know, FDR, Thomas Paine, American socialism, um, British Marxism. But, you know, at a certain at a certain point, people want to hear Har what Harvey J.K. has to say about Star Wars, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> that's so, me giggling, by the way, audience. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in terms of the agenda for today, I mean, we're we're a few months into the Joe Biden administration. I'm honestly having a lot of trouble wrapping my my head around it. I feel as though, um, you know, like if you compare, say, going from 
um, Bush Senior to Clinton or from Bush Junior to Obama. It was it was a little bit more of like go to you know we're all going to go to brunch. We're going to relax. We're going to take our foot off the gas. Um, but it feels to me that the Democratic base is far more engaged, far more demanding, and far louder than than at the beginning of of previous Democratic presidential administrations. Um, I think the Biden administration has has actually delivered some really good stuff, uh, some pretty terrible stuff. It's a mixed bag. So I wanted to devote some time today to kind of doing a, a bit of an analysis on, on where, we're, where we are in this political moment. Um, like uh, maybe Napoleon, we can start with you. Like what, what's, your, what's your assessment of, of the Biden administration right now? Well, I, I agree with what you just said. I mean, uh, the, the Trump, uh, uh, four years of Trump, like politicized a lot of people and it made a lot of more people engaged and on top of that you have the whole Bernie movement that energized a whole lot of people and made a whole lot more people aware of what was going on and and I think people are tired of the just the talk and, and the symbolisms and things like that people are looking for material some sort of material gains and advances and it's, it's the same way like it's a mixed bag like there's certain things that um you know, this, you know when when Biden was was talking about the what was it the family plan or what is it? Was that? It, 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 yeah, what was that? that, that I, I, I don't, it wasn't. The I don't American even remember Rescue the name, plan. but yeah. it seemed like it was like FDR esque a little mm. bit. Like he was inching <laughs> towards that direction of like some sort of like cohesive plan to help people and stuff like that. But it, it's 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 been such a mixed bag and. I I would like I would like him to be more I would not say forceful but it's just more less caring of just caring about the agenda and not caring about the other side who obviously never cares anytime they they have some sort of power and just get things done and you'll be remembered as 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 somebody who actually did something for once and uh yeah so yeah. that that that's really what it is right now Harvey, how about you? Yeah, I, I go I go schizophrenic these days on this whole administration. Um, I don't mean like crazy, but all over the place. Yeah, ambi ambivalent is too weak a word to explain. Well, so ambivalent, as as I learned from Girl Interrupted, ambivalent means to be to be strongly torn between two options. So maybe it does apply. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we generally have turned it into the kind of like, ah, eh, I don't know, yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's start out with the fact that, I mean, let me state a matter of fact. God, we would have been better off if Bernie had uh, <laughs> been our president. Uh, uh, right? Okay. No ambivalence on that statement, by the way. But what I think what happened is that we were, we were briefly led to believe that the Biden administration really did want to go FDR-esque. And... And it didn't help matters that so many, for lack of a better way of putting it, liberal and progressive pundits, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN types, I mean, all that, the standard crew, and maybe some of I, who I don't follow in any fashion, but too often maybe the right wingers sort of fell into it in a, in a complaining like way, you know, sort of a fearful like way. But it is the case that we were, you know, we were encouraged. I, I wasn't. I had serious doubts about it. Once the liberal pundits started chiming in, I kept thinking, this is overkill. They kept saying, yeah, this is going to be the new FDR. This is going to be the redemption of a New Deal-like presidency. And the reason that I 
was was really upset about it all is that all we had seen at the outset was I, I don't think this is the family one. This is, it was called the American Rescue Plan or some or maybe it was the Family Rescue Plan. But it was was that the, the, the COVID one. omnibus bill type thing? Well, it was that first one where everyone was disappointed they didn't fulfill the two thousand dollar commitment that mm. they took. They made it what fourteen hundred dollars because they felt the six hundred dollars had already been provided by the prior administration and, and all that. But it, it, that was that that. That was maybe disappointing, but that didn't signal to me that it was all over or anything like that. It was more the case that thinking about FDR, and I'll try not to give a whole lecture on this, there really were four phases in the New Deal. And one of them was relief, which Biden has been calling rescue. The second we might say is reconstruction and, re and fourth and third is recovery and fourth is reform. Though so that order overlaps the, 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 the three that I mentioned. And, but the American Rescue Plan, that, which is what led everyone into orgasmic-like enthusiasms for Joe Biden, was just literally an immediate injection of money into people's lives. And when they made claims about half of, you know, childhood poverty would be cut in half, I had two thoughts. First of all, wait a minute, this is a, a temporary plan. It's only one year's worth of, of, uh, of dollars. And the second thing is, is if you're gonna go if you're going to cut half of child poverty, well, then why the hell don't you cut it all? <laughs> if you're yeah, gonna, good point. You know, if you're going to bother to say 50%, why don't you go for 100%? Go big. Mm. And they kept using the term go big. So, so then you add in all those liberal pundits and progressive pundits. And I thought, come on, don't be absurd. This is not FDR until we get some real, for lack of a better way of putting it, structural change. Maybe a, a change in the relationship between between labor and capital for a start, okay? Empower workers, uh, an empowerment of diverse Americans whose ability to vote was being chipped away at for some time and now could literally be, you know, they could be literally shunted aside. I mean, if we're gonna talk about FDR, then let's, and FDR didn't do all these things necessarily, but, it's, but he did radical and revolutionary things in the course of the New Deal. And if you're going to talk about it in those terms, then, then please don't jump the gun. I mean, and by the way, I have this, you know, this thought that the, the Biden administration took it seriously, not to enthuse them further, but to say, hey, we already, we've already done, mm. look, what, look how we're right. viewing people. Okay, so. Right, just to we'll check off there. the box. I, I'm sure we can. We have a lot more to talk about in those terms, but I, well, I want to stop do, there. Do, do you do you think that the fact that also they're playing on the fact, like the media and the punditry uh, and stuff like that, are, are playing on the fact that FDR doesn't mean anything really. It's only an idea to people right now. You you best, you, you yeah. know FD like you study FDR. You're like you're really deep into that. I don't think yeah. most people they know what the New Deal is conceptually. And FDR is like this idea. So they could throw that word around without even having to, to, to deal with the reality of the fact uh, and, and the, the fact that he's nothing like, I mean, he's, he might be uh, yeah. looking and, and, and taking certain steps, but it's not really that. Yeah, that's a good question. And, 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 and I'm really glad you asked that because I think if you went out and asked most people about FDR, just you know, just ask them. They do the same thing they'd probably say about Washington and Lincoln. They'd say, oh, he, he led us through World War II. That's their first thought, right? Mm -hmm. As Washington led the American people through the revolution, Lincoln through the Civil War and so on. And then if you tell them, but you know, he was president in a longer period, oh yeah, the New Deal. But then if you ask them about the New Deal, and this is a consequence of, of 
you know, inadequate education and also the fact that liberals don't, they don't talk about all the New Deal. They talk about the fact that a president and a party spent money, engaged Americans in, in recovering from the depression. But most times you don't hear people talk about the restructuring of American life, the changing, the change role or not role, the re change relationship between government and the people for a start. The fact that you not only saw, you not only saw expenditures of money to provide jobs in the, the WPA, the Works Progress Administration and the PWA, the Public Works Administration. How many people realize that possibly somewhere between half a million and a million homesteads in rural areas were provided electricity for the first time ever because of the Rural Electrification Agency, which was to set up cooperatives because corporate power companies didn't think it was worthwhile profit-wise to serve farmers in the South. How many people actually remember the Civilian Conservation Corps where you know, a couple of million young men went out, but recruited at you know, basically military-like wages at best, to go out and combat ero soil erosion, plant you know, forests, create parks and playgrounds. I mean, to do all, how many people realize the, the way in which the American landscape was radically transformed? So I think you're right, Napoleon. In fact, I think a lot of people, they have this idea, but sure as hell the media is not giving them any sense of what, what it would mean to really go in the direction or in the fashion of FDR. Yeah. Yeah, sure. we're so we're so unaccustomed by this point to real structural change. I mean, we really have we really have only been served the kind of the most most toothless and like a thin patina of of small reforms and changes around the edges. Do you think that people oh, though, Can I just add one other thing because I want I want to highlight what could have what could maybe maybe if if Biden wakes up and pursues what I'm about to say because I'm sure he's going to watch this show. Um, it will uh, Am I allowed to say that Napoleon right now is over in uh, in Europe, yeah, starring yeah, sure. from Berlin to Marseille? I mean, let's. I you know I I really cool. can't tell you how thrilled I am, and don't forget to ask me how it is that Napoleon and I came to be came to be brothers. Okay, mm. so so back in the '30s, part of the New Deal, the WPA involved a massive program known as Federal One, and it had four elements. It was a what was it? A theater project the arts project, the writers project, and the music project. And, they, and for the first time ever, all across the country, not only were, in some cases, symphony orchestras saved or created, but also popular music. And in fact, people trained in music were hired to basically go out into small towns and, and create music programs. There were theater companies. I mean, it was a vast kind of effort. And there are people right now trying to revive, I think there's a bill going to go before Congress, who knows if the Republicans would ever approve it. They're trying to revive the idea of a writer's project so that mm. all of these journalists who have lost jobs because of the way in which big business has literally taken over newspapers and shut down local newspapers. We've got this vast reservoir of writers who can be recruited into new initiatives to enable Americans to know what's going on in their hometowns or at the state level. And you know, I could easily, you know, I could easily see in the light of where we are today, you know, it isn't just symphony orchestras. It, it can be every form of music. And by the way, and let me make it clear, in the 1930s, Americans transformed popular culture, just as we've seen a transformation of popular culture, but they did it 
from the bottom up in a grassroots populist way, not by way of, you know, corporate enterprise necessarily. Mm. And, and also, again, this is in relation to, to where we are today. It, the New Deal was not, was not simply for white folks, okay? It was not at all. There were problems with it because of Southern Democrats' control over Congress, but it really did. I mean, last time I'll say this today, but pe people forget that it was in the 1930s that African-American families started naming their kids Franklin or Roosevelt or Eleanor because they were so enamored of the fact that for the first time, however, however inadequate it may have ended up, they too, were addressed by government as part of, you know, the working people and working class. Okay, I'll stop there. I wanted to ask, so, I mean, I feel as though one thing that's really apparent to me is that, and we talked about this a little bit, like the, the, the rhetoric and the language, and on the last episode, I called it these algorithmic narratives. I feel as though when it comes to say the the promises that the Biden administration and his, his advisors are putting out there, I think people are a lot more skeptical of it. I think people, and kind of see it for the BS that it really is in terms of just being lip service and not really speaking to uh, material change or something that can actually constitute a, a benefit in people's everyday lives. And I think, I mean, I wanted to ask both of you, um, and we can go to Napoleon first. I mean, do you think people need to be more aware of this this added leverage that they have to influence this administration? I mean, we have we have a, a, a elderly president who's probably, you know, his advisors are probably driving the bus more than more than in most instances. Um, and they're probably more susceptible and probably more uh, cognizant of the fact that people are pretty fed up. They can see through the BS a little bit more and, and they're demanding more. Well, I, I think it's very important that we, we keep the pressure up and everybody understands that. One thing that I've heard a lot of people say is that Biden seems to respond to pressure in, in ways that, that others probably don't. There's some, some others, he actually, if there's enough pressure, he's gonna listen and, and he might be swayed a little bit left or right. So it's very, and, and that's an advantage. Is that's something we need to take advantage of and not take for granted. And I think if we don't keep the pressure up, I think that the default setting of a Biden administration is kind of like what Obama was doing. It was just all imagery, all symbolism, like tweets with, him walking in slow motion outside the White House, we we're, we're doing this and all that. It's just all, uh, and um, that would be a great mistake not only for America and for Americans, but for Biden himself, because the more we're looking back at Obama, the Obama administration, we already know there was a lot of problems, but it, it just looks worse and worse as 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 we try to break it down and see what happened and realize that he kind of enabled Trump and gave Trump a lane and a huge opening. Totally. And Biden, like if he plays the game wrong, it's he's gonna bring Trump 2.0 uh, uh, and, and he's gonna create him. Mm. And I, I think that um, it's a good thing that, that, that now we feel like we could sway and, and people are a lot more politicized. People are a lot more aware that we're not getting anything out of this government and we can, and we, we've seen, we can, we get stimulus checks for, finally got some money. There's things that can happen. If we, if we put our minds together, the means are there. I, I, I was loving at the beginning, like it gave me hope when Biden was, was saying we have to go big and he wasn't really talking about that, that, def, that uh, once another default thing, like um, the budget deficit all the time. 
that, that's a lot of times like we need to balance the budget we need to get a surplus when it's like it's all bs we need to spend more money we need to spend the money and we need to to spend the money where it needs to be spent to help people for the whole e e economy to grow and um i i think you make a good point is that biden can be swayed we know there's that possibility we have to keep the pressure up keep organizing and 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 not fall asleep at the wheel and not go back to brunch mm. harvey do you agree not that you have anything against brunch i'm sure napoleon <laughs> i'm actually no, really hungry I mean, right now yeah. <laughs> the expression i got you yeah okay so to take to take up exactly the kinds of things napoleon said i i want to sort of build around it um the first thing is that it's not just simply well first of all our biggest problem is that americans and I agree with Napoleon. I actually do think Biden can be propelled. I think he can be pushed. Um, maybe people are underestimating the degree to which he really would like to go down in history as having done things smartly, rightly, and effectively, and bigly. Excuse me. Um, you know, that, that, sorry. That, okay. that that was irresistible to say. Okay, but it's also the case that he needs to be. He not only needs to continue to be pushed, and our problem is that, that we don't, are not effectively organized. I mean, after 45 years of, of corporate and conservative class war and culture war, our foremost sort of organizations are really damaged badly. I mean, the civil rights movement uh, and organizations of the 60s into the 70s don't, do not exist on the, uh, in the fashion they once did. Labor unions, as everyone knows, have just taken a beating this past 45 years. I mean, really just absolutely awful, a beating. And, in, and states where labor was strong, like, like say Michigan and Wisconsin are now right to work states where you know, unions have been broken up and people have been really sort of you know, pushed, pushed, pushed aside and pushed down. So one of our biggest problems is our, uh, the fact that we're not organized, but that's part of the reason that Napoleon needs to, needs to be heard and we need to go beyond. And that is, not only do we need to be pushing Biden, Biden needs to realize the degree to which he needs to be pushed. In other words, if he really does wanna make himself, he's never gonna be another FDR exactly, but if he wants to be at the least say, I don't know, Dwight Eisenhower or, or a Lyndon Johnson, pushing aside the war in Vietnam, please. Um, it really is the case that he's going to have to not, he's going to not simply have to announce in a tweet that workers have the right to organize, which by the way, is a matter of fact, the law was passed back in FDR's day, but he has to go beyond and say, if I worked in a warehouse, I join a union or, you know, whatever the field may be, if I were there, I'd be joining a union or I'd be, I'd be organizing, let it, let him, let him encourage people to actually come together to be able to more effectively push him and the business folks who have gotten away with, you know, with, I won't say, well, in some ways murder for these last 45 years and the kinds of what it's done to people's lives. So that's important. And in that same vein, if he can start doing those kinds of things, he might actually reach, and I'm living here, I live here in Wisconsin, and I'm in the city of Green Bay, which is only really 100,000 people. But out to my west, not you don't have to go very far. You know, rural areas were solidly Trump this past time around, solidly Trump. And those folks are hostile, absolutely hostile to Biden. But you know what? Their hostility 
is is not absolute. They need they need the assistance of government. They need some kind of community development. They need to be better organized. They, they need to be encouraged. And the more they're encouraged to engage, I think the better the chances are that they can be weaned away from the, the, the Trump idiocies that, that, that they are said to subscribe to. Well, let me ask this because um, I heard a really interesting thought on this topic. I think it was, um... Nando Vila that I heard say it. He was talking about this concept of like a middle America radical. Like I think a lot of people have this concept of middle of the, and again, it's a massive oversimplification and it's not as though it's one voting block, but people have this idea of middle America voters being kind of moderate. They kind of like a little of this, little of that, they're in the middle. And, and Nando's point was that they're more like middle America radicals in that they hate corporations, they want to tax the rich, but they also have some serious cultural baggage and they may you know want to just like put walls up around every border you know what i mean so is it fair to say though that that the rural areas have been so uh, economically downgraded that that really like the key to winning votes there is is on economic policy and on things like taxing the rich healthcare stuff like that like do you, do you really see an opportunity for biden there or do you think the cultural issues will just um will just limit any any progress in that. I, 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 I definitely see an opportunity there. I mean, like, like, like he said, we have to win people away. It's, it's not, it's, oh, they're not all good. It's just going to come to one side. That's just not realistic. But I think that it would be a great mistake not to engage with, 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 with these people and to think that they're like too far gone or that we can't because they, they definitely can. I wish I could remember his name, but uh, he, he's, a, he's a friend on Twitter and he should be a friend of Michael Brooks too. Uh, rest in peace, Michael. And he was working in one of these states uh, in the Midwest up north. And he was engaging with people about um, health care. And, and it was a very conservative area. And they were going door to door knocking about certain health care policies. And they got great results. And, and oh, yeah. you realize when you engage with people that and, and, and that their needs and their wants are this, similar to, to most people because it's really a class thing and it's really like the economy like you said that matters to people at the end of the day is just how it's presented to them what they're used to hearing the type of way they're used to being uh i guess engaged with but if we if we don't do the extra work to engage and we stay comfortable in the just the big urban centers where we of course like you know the more leftist policies more and the democrats are always focused on uh, I, I think in the long term, we're not going to start building on on the we're not getting going to get the gains that we, we need to actually affect policy. Yeah, yeah, you know, and back in 2016, um, I ha I'm absolutely sure, given the fact that that it look, Hillary, Hillary lost in Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin, which I'm absolutely sure Bernie would have won. And Bernie would have been president then in 2016. And by now we would all have been talking, you know, whether or not dental care should be included in Medicare in, for all, you know, it would have been a different position altogether. And I hope it will be when it, when it's passed. Um, and, and then, and, and I do think exactly, I can imagine the, I, I don't know who you were specific. I can't remember his name either. I have this vague recollection of this, but you're right. You go north into Michigan to these conservative areas, or go north into Green Bay, into Wisconsin, or out to the west between Minneapolis and where I am in Green Bay, and people are not opposed to healthcare. Okay, 
And I'm not even sure that they necessarily voted on, I mean, in 2016, they didn't vote for, they didn't vote for Trump is my feeling in 2016. They voted against the Democrats because they felt, they felt like they had been cheated and lied to. I mean, and here against, against the system at large too. I mean, they voted, we're voting against. Yeah, the well, I used to say to people, well. I used, I said that in voting in 2016 here in Wisconsin, white working, white working people, too many African-Americans didn't just stayed home because, you know, it was Milwaukee and Hillary never came back to Wisconsin. She never tried to connect in that fashion and white working people all too often. And I'm not even sure I can specify if it's sort of middle class or farming people or what, but because I don't know the, the detail at this moment. But it was the case that I, I said voting for Trump was like being able to punch Bill and Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama in the nose. Why? Well, consider this. A lot of farming people in Wisconsin, this is a family farming state, not a corporate farming state. So it's dairy farms, it's family farms. And a lot of families basically in, in the household, you had at least one of the couple, husband or the wife, probably working in some nearby factory or plant or warehouse to add to the family income. And the, the question of NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement that obviously was part of Clinton's initial, pre, you know, first two years of his presidency. People hated him for that because of the ways in which it literally undermined, you know, an already suffering industrial and manufacturing center in this state. So, and then uh, there was Obama pushing TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and Hillary was the Secretary of State, right? And all of a sudden she was against it. You remember, I don't know if you guys are old enough, but do you remember with, with um, what was the guy's name? Oh, who ran in 2008? Um, yeah. On which side? Romney? Uh, John, John Kerry, what? Romney. Kerry, Kerry. Remember Kerry, they said to him, what? the challenge is that, hey, first you voted for, then you voted against or whatever. And there's Hillary all of a sudden doing the flip-flop. Well, you know, I supported it, but on further consideration, I, I oppose it. So it wasn't like... I'm not telling you there isn't a strain of racism in the state that needs to be, I, I, I'm, I'm more than aware of that, okay? But I can tell you that the voting that took place in 2016, 2020 was not, not because of race. Mm. It was because of the fact that the Dems were not to be trusted on these economic questions. Yeah. And that, that you know, and the fact, by the way, Hillary Clinton, I'll tell this story. I like to, I like to tell the story. I don't know if, you've, if I told you this before, Isaac, but it was 2016. And I, oh, I, I had a really, really close friend who actually was the co-founder of the group that was called Ready for Hillary to, to get, you know, to, to build the momentum for her nomination. And she knew my, she knew I cared little for the Clintons, to put it mildly, that I, and I was solidly with Bernie. So we kind of suspended our friendship. She lives in the D.C. area. We kind of suspended our friendship during the primary season. Well, after all of that was settled, it was maybe September, October, it must have been October, and I got a call from her and said, hey, I'm coming to Wisconsin. I'll be in Northeast Wisconsin. Can we get lunch? And I knew what she was doing is that she was going to, she's part of the Hillary advance team, you might say. So I said, you know, the day you have in mind, I have to teach. So I, I, I can't meet up with you. However, if you're here now, I'll bet you'll be back in a couple of weeks when Hillary herself comes to Wisconsin. And she said, oh, Hillary's not coming to Wisconsin. We're pretty confident we can win in Wisconsin. Well, 
tell that to all the folks who wondered, did she care at all at the least, right? So there you go, okay? And it was a close, in the end, the election was very, very close. And maybe she, look, she didn't deserve to win in some ways, but desperately we needed her to. So it's the case that people just need to, you know, first of all, they need to connect. I know that's an old thing. They need to connect better. And they, and they need to, they need to, to articulate a vision of an America, in Biden's terms, united, but I would say more importantly, of working people becoming empowered once again and voting rights being guaranteed. Not just messing around, tinkering with little laws here and there. Just that's where Biden. So, so here's what I would say. Okay, I would have left this to later. But what Biden probably ought to do, and this is why we need to push Biden to push back, and that is Biden needs excuse the expression, declare war, basically. Mm. He needs to come out forcefully, you were right to say forcefully, forcefully for workers' rights, voters' rights, and, and, and make it clear that if it can't happen immediately because of, of, of recalcitrant Democrats, these mansion and cinema, that, they, that he needs Americans, just as he did in 2008 to take back Congress, they need Americans to turn out so he can make those things happen, so that he can make sure that by 2023, the end of 2023, voting rights are guaranteed, mm. workers' rights are, are reaffirmed. I mean, mm. and let him, but let him really go out. I mean, really go out on and send out his cabinet officers. Yeah. And let Bernie and Schumer even, you know, let him do that. Sorry, that, that's my thing. And, and, and to piggyback on what he said is I, I think that the what the Republicans did well and the right does well is they, they kind of like took ownership of like the idea of patriotism. Yeah. And I think the left could could take back that ownership and 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 sell a different type of patriotism, not an imperialistic type patriotism, right. but uh patriotism of this country could do better. And, and, and these this, these are the values we stand for and we all stand for. Let's get together and push for these values and 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 not accept anything less. And by the way, it's his name was Luke Mayville. Shout out to him. And he well, was uh, campaigning yeah, for uh, cool, Medicare yeah. expansion mm-hmm. with some Michael Brooks went to visit over there. They were knocking on doors and everything. And I, I think you made you made that point. Right. Uh, Harvey K. In, in, in your writings about patriotism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, right. It's been the subject of my writing for some time, as you know. Right. And and what it is is that we've sort of we've abandoned the American story and let the Republicans and conservatives and reactionaries utterly define the meaning and story of America. So that look, l- let's not fool ourselves about the story of exploitation and oppression, the racism and the anti-Semitism. Let, we we know that, but. The other point is, is that Americans had this democratic imperative and impulse so that, I mean, African-Americans didn't accept the world as it was, okay? They resisted, they struggled against it. Every immigrant group that came to this country discovered a way of making itself heard and making its demands. It's not all one directional, but um, Bill Moyers, to drop a name, um, said to me, he was looking at some, we, we often shared some stuff we were writing and I sent him something and he reworded something and I ever, and he said to me, and I, I said to him, look, let's agree we can plagiarize each other. It was a kind of fun thing. Mm. And it was this great line. And it's like every American, whether native born or newly arrived, 
is the heir to a promise, right? Mm. And it's a promise of freedom, equality, and democracy. And most generations have realized that and recognized that they were not about to be defined out of the story. Okay, well, I was, re- I was affirming the point that, that Napoleon said about the question of patriotism. And really what it comes down to is the story that, that should be told about America has been suppressed, but not simply suppressed. It's been literally shunted aside. The, the, the right, the capital and conservatives and reactionaries have hijacked the American story. And the tragedy is, is that whether they're liberal, whether we're liberals or leftists or radicals or socialists, whatever it is, we have somehow deferred to that hijacking. We've been yeah. somehow, we've somehow yeah. failed to consider the degree to which the American story is itself radical for all of the faults and failings of generations and so on. So, you know, I mean, that, that's the key. And I think yeah. that uh, whether you're the writer like me or the performer like Napoleon, we've got we've to assert that, that story let, 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 without being Pollyanna-ish or, you know. Mm. And, and I would like to add a point to that is just, I have so many different type of friends, diverse friends from, from all across. And, and I've traveled more than the average person. And what I think about America, America is a big place. It's, it's, it's diverse, diverse cultures in America and everything. We have, we know the race issues, different things within America. I think that Americans don't know how American they are until they travel outside of America. <laughs> and they realize how much more they have in common. <laughs> and and, and and, and, and I want to highlight that for a lot of people because the, 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 the <laughs> Americans really do have something in common that sometimes they're not aware about. And, and mm. I'm talking about the average black New Yorker with the with the Texan, you know, Texan white guy or whatever. When they go outside of America, they realize they have a lot more in common that they, they might be, not believe like being within the country with all the dynamics and everything that goes down. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's, it's funny because Thomas Paine actually says that in Common Sense in 1776. He says, you know, we Americans in in the colonies, you know, thought of themselves as you know French or Dutch. I mean, went on and on. He said, and then but and then all of a sudden they realize when they're not in America that they're Americans. And and mm. back in back in 1993, and I had the same. Well, back in in the. 70s when I was living in England, I mean that was my experience, and I and it really did cut across all the standard lines of race and ethnicity. Um, you know, where all of a sudden you turn to each other and you realize it's like you don't even say it; you just sort of realize that, that there's a sensibility about being in America if if you're a good American, okay? <laughs> if you're not a pig, no, but more or less there, there's but still right. something there yeah. that, that might not be uh, a, a conscious thing for a lot of people right. until they, they go somewhere else. And they yeah, really that's a great it. point. Absolutely. Okay, but we like being obviously, because I kind of like, I have my, I have different cultures in me too, right? Yeah. So I, I, I could kind of see, I think um, from a bird's eye view a little bit more, and I could see an American. I'm like, yeah, this person is American. This person hasn't been outside of America. I could tell right away when I meet somebody yeah. where, where, cause I have that sensibility since I've traveled, I've been here and there. And, and I think it's, it's an important point to make. And, and it's actually like, there's an opportunity there for her, for there to be more cohesion right now, because there's so, so much um, polarization. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, personally, my perspective is that a lot of this, this kind of schism started in the Vietnam era where you had the kind of radical left protesting and not even the radical left, just the progressive left. And then 
the people on the right saying this is betrayal, this is treason, you know, America is great. They still hold on to and still hold on to very much this day, this idea of America as the, the exceptional nation should be supreme. They need to maintain supremacy over the earth. Um, and I think definitely over the last few decades, people on the left have, um, have just basically taken a very pessimistic view of America and, and really just quite rightfully and quite needfully looked at a lot of its crimes and a lot of its problems. But maybe there, maybe we are now in an era where we're globally inter interconnected, where like you say, Americans can go abroad and actually maybe actually understand and see what it means to be American in a global context as a member of a global community, not as the supremacist superpower that needs to run the show and it somehow has all the answers. Like it's entirely possible to me that to supplant that kind of super right wing old fashioned idea of, of, of America, the exceptional indispensable nation I mean, we're probably looking looking at a pretty good opportunity to to supplant that with our own kind of more nuanced, mature perspective, where America and Americans can exist within a global community. So, Isaac, you got to help me out on this. So, are are you a dual Canadian? Uh, yeah, American? I'm in Vancouver right now, undisclosed location. I've lived in the states a few times. Father was American, mother was British. Ah, okay. so I kind of ended up in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because because I, I just mentioned. Um, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you. Back in 71, 72, when I was living in London at, for my graduate degree, I shared an apartment. Actually, we, we were roommates, this uh, young woman who was an art student from Toronto. Mm. And um, she was my sister's age. So we really did maintain a brotherly, sisterly kind of relationship. It was nothing more, I swear. And um, but what, what was funny was, so all her Canadian friends would come over, right? And, but they would every so often say, oh, you're so American. They, they were so keen on distinguishing themselves from Oh, America. that's, that's at and, the core of all Canadian identity. Right, right. A huge complex about that. Yeah, yeah and, and what's funny was, so on their backpacks, when they go around the city or, or head mm. off to travel, they all put the Canadian flag on so they would not be mistaken yeah, you know, yeah. For, for Americans. That era is kind of gone. Like once, so once Canada was involved in bombing Kosovo, my friends who had the Canada patch uh -huh. on while they were traveling Europe did not did not get a warm welcome. Uh -huh. So okay. that era might might have gone a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting though. Like definitely, like, even if you go back to Canadian literature from three hundred years ago, it's all about differentiating themselves from from America. Even though, I mean, obviously there's huge similarities as well. Um, I don't know. We're kind of we're 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 Austro we're the Austro-Hungarian Empire in my view right now. That's that's my that's my honest opinion. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you guys as well. I mean, we're talking about how you know I think there are opportunities here. I think another thing that adds to the opportunity is that the right wing is so um, fixated on navel gazing into this this bullshit about um, identity politics and and vaccines and masks. And I really feel like they 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 have dulled their kind of ideological and rhetorical machinery or their tools to really make, to present any kind of alternative argument. Um, I, I think they've really ceded a lot of territory policy-wise because they're just honestly not making policy arguments as much really anymore in any meaningful way. Um, if you had to say like in terms of levers that, that could be pushed to enact pressure on Biden on X, Y, or Z topic, like is there any area that you see particular opportunity in? Is, is it environmental policy, criminal, um, like the, prison system, maybe it's, uh, I mean, I would love to see voter rights enshrined much more forcefully. I mean, we have this, with the, the ghoul of the month on night rule, we're gonna start naming the ghoul of the month is uh, Florida Governor DeSantis. I don't think I've ever seen a more pathetic human being enacting more disgusting policies in a more loud and, and overt way. Um, 
but yeah, is there like if, if you had to if you had to look and see where you saw the most area for opportunity, where do you see that right now? And maybe Harvey, we'll start with you. Oh, yes. I was hoping you were going to start with Napoleon because I, <laughs> I want to. Here's what I'd say. OK, in, in a very is a very practical matter. But I think they realize that it's really going to hang on the ability to get one or two more seats in the Senate and not lose the House. And that and that really is on the voting rights question. Because if they don't, if the Democrats don't realize the degree to which voting rights is got to be the very first thing that gets changed if they can do it. In that sense, they, they, surely Biden has to be susceptible to that as a, as a primary question, okay, as a primary question. Um, I will tell you that I, I, my own commitments are first the voting rights, but so close behind it is this labor one. And I think that it would have been more effective. I think we would have had a greater chance to push him on the labor stuff if in fact it if in fact he wasn't so if he wasn't seen already as this, you know, oh maybe it actually would help, you know, this guy from Scranton, you know, his labor's friend somehow. But and I want to say one more thing, because you can see the ambivalence working its way through my brain right now. And that is that that. I think the voting rights is fundamental, but I think for really, really progressive change, the labor rights is crucial. And the reason I say that is those working people who have moved towards the Republicans all these many years, I bet if you look closely, it's folks who saw their unions smashed, okay? And that the Democrats did nothing to rescue the cause. I mean that so I I mean I would love to I would like to see Biden take on voting rights and labor rights. I think the one he's going to be most likely capable of being pushed on is probably voting rights cuz the Democrats unless they don't care. I mean, you know, after this post this this video, people will say send me a note, you honestly believe that Biden gives a shit about anything? You know, it'll be that kind of stuff. I mean, seriously, look, I mean, they're out there. I mean, in droves on Twitter. I, and I, I told Napoleon the other day I was really getting fed up with people who have no, no knowledge of history who are all of a sudden spouting it. But anyhow, I've, I'll stop. Okay. No, okay. I, 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 I agree. I, I agree with all these things. It's, it's tough. You know, it's, it's, there's so many things. I think that um, Biden should um, cancel student debt because uh, it's something that I perceive as being easy for him to do and, and he's able to do it. And so that's one thing you, you, mm. you could actually say, I did that. Mm. And people, and, and, and it's harder for people to argue that by the, the Biden administration, because what they're gonna say when the elections come or you know, the midterms or whatever, they're gonna say, see, what did they do? Nothing. And, and that counters that argument right there. Like, look, there was student debt, now there's no student. Mm. I think another one is minimum wage. Because it's another thing that's like, it's 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 easy to talk about. People could perceive it, understand it very easily, and it's going to help a lot of people. You know, a lot of people are going to be helped by that. Yeah. And you combine that with voter rights, so those people can actually vote. I think I would also add um, some sort of like intelligent or or some sort of um, just to show some some. Uh, some advancement in, in the police reform and, and it was it's been one year since the George Floyd thing right yeah absolutely and and I'm hearing from a lot of the 
the hip hop community and also I, I watch some some of the black media on YouTube and everything like that. And I hear a lot of people just saying that, like, what what is Biden? What has he done for black people, quote unquote, or something like that? And police reform is kind of tied to race because of the of the George Floyd and everything that's been happening on all these things. And people perceive it that way. And the fact that they perceive it that way, I think him showing some sort of um, just effort on that direction is, is really going to help that part. And also, I, I think that the, the problem with Biden, it, it, it's a, he doesn't really stand for nothing, which, which, which is a good and a bad thing, because he could be swayed left or right, depending on what, what he feels like his, his, he's going to gain legacy-wise or politically-wise, uh, from a political standpoint. I think that he seems so, so beholden to the money and, and, to, and to, to the big corporations and things like that. I think, for example, for minimum wage, he should be intelligent enough or his administration should be intelligent enough to sit with the with, with, with people from the big corporations and all those big donors and make it make a case as to how it helps them. Because I, I, it's like that's the only don't the only intelligent way for me to do it, because because the reason why it's not happening and from my point of view, I'm not sure. I think it's because the people with the money and the people, the owners don't want that to happen because they're cheap. They don't want to pay people. They want to keep making pro profits. They want to keep putting the squeeze on people and explaining to them like for the social cohesion in America to help people, to help your businesses and to get the e economy running. This is necessary. Yeah. Like make the actual, just show them that there's a benefit and, yeah. and not, not only have them just try to kill the idea and, and you, you telling them because you accept money from them and stuff, but just show them yeah. how it actually is going to benefit everybody in the long run. And I know we're such a short-term society where it's like the yeah. next quarter's gain, uh, profit, this and that and the third, but we have to be smarter or else we're just going to lose out. I, I would, in fact, can I just respond? Because I, I want to add my thoughts on, I don't, I still can't figure out why even now, Apparently, he's going nowhere on the on the student debt question, and and I, I can understand the, the fears that he has, because in fact, you know they were they were starting to means tested. You know they were they had to say well we'll means test. So if you make, well even now they're talking about if you make if your family is making less than one hundred twenty five thousand a year you get free tuition at a community college or whatever else and those above that, that's a disaster plan. Okay, because everyone who makes 125 to 140 is going to wonder, hey, wh what the hell's going on here? Just universalize it. And then on the student debt thing, you know, I mean, some people say, and you know what the arguments will be afterward will be, oh, if I'd known that, I would have gone to a more expensive school, that kind of stuff. But that's not the point. Napoleon's right. There is a generation right now which is practically in debt servitude, you might say, you know. So, so that's the, that you do it. Yeah. Okay, but then, but what's so depressing in all of this is to go back to his, his first offering, Napoleon's first offering is, how was it possible they couldn't get creative on the $15 minimum wage? Let's face it, the $15 minimum wage will not hurt big business, period. They're only worried about, the only worry might be is that smaller businesses really might have a hard time adapting. And it is the case that McDonald's operates not as a big corporation at the local level, it operates on a franchise basis. But here's the thing, you can, 
enact the $15 minimum wage, and hell, you can make it immediate, and then pass a related tax plan so that if you're a business under a certain size, you're given tax benefits over a transitional period. I mean, that was like a slap in the face to low-wage workers and a slap in the face to progressives. And by the way, the, the reason that I, I, I keep thinking what the hell is going on, you know, it was one thing when he was running against Bernie and he kept saying, you know, the socialists don't like me because I, you know, I'm not a socialist, whatever. Now, just a week or so ago, David Brooks interviewed him and must have baited him with the question, why do progressives hate you? Okay, why do they hate you? Which isn't even necessarily clear that they hate him. And he said, they hate me because, because I, I, won't, I won't subscribe to their socialist agenda. Well, Biden, that's a gaffe. That's, a, that's a, sorry, I can use a four letter word, right? That's a fucking gaffe, okay? I mean, what he should have said is, I don't think they hate me. Right. I mean, I don't think they hate me. They may be disappointed. I'm not moving fast enough. I mean, somebody needs to talk to Biden just in terms of, you know, if you're talking unity, then act like it. Yeah, you could just act say like we're working together. What yeah, we're working together. Bernie and I are like together. this, you know? Yeah, or we might have our disagreements, but we're still working towards getting everything done or whatever like that. From a communication standpoint, it's the smartest thing to do. Yeah, and like by the way, lack, but I'm lack with of creativity, I, lack of imagination and creativity. Yeah, and I'm with Napoleon. The fifteen dollar minimum that 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 I I really couldn't believe how badly that was handled. And by the way, Mansion and Cinema might have been predictable, but Chris Coons, who's a senator from Delaware, who's basically like buddy buddy with Biden, he was Biden's intern once upon a time, way back when. And, and, and think, and the other day there was a story in the New York Times that Chris Coons is Biden's, you know, sort of go-to guy when he wants to talk, you know, to the Republicans these days. Chris mm -hmm. Coons still has all these Republicans. He's a, he's a corporate Democrat, Chris Coons. So it doesn't give me confidence that, that the Democrats are with us on this $15 minimum wage in, in, in the universal sense of the Democrats, but sure as hell, he's president of the United States, Biden. He calls these people in, he cuts deals, he promises things and he makes it happen. And he's not doing that. Mm. That's frustrating. Yeah, I think it's frustrating when you can see that. And I think uh, what's extra frustrating about this is we've, we've gone through so many decades of neoliberalism and been given the same talking points about you got to be realistic, you got to be practical, you got to think these things through, how are you going to pay for it, et cetera. But now we've reached a point where, you know, voter rights and $15 an hour minimum wage and forgiving student, student debt, these are not only moral things to do, they're practical things to do, and they're huge political fucking winners. Yeah. So how does, how does the left start like I think that's actually because that's one way we could potentially um, kind of bring some of these zombified uh, liberal types into our cause to really say you know what after all this time of saying to, we can't do this because it would cost too much we've realized actually you know what single-payer healthcare is fucking cheaper than the current system so it's not only practical as but it's also moral you know what I mean like how that's that's what frustrates me because yeah if he hasn't if, if, even they don't even have the public option built into the next budget they're putting together yeah and, and look the public look and, and even the public option is just it's one more thrown in kind of thing i don't sure but i mean but, people but would be it, people be that, crawling on their hands build, and knees but, to come but go to, ahead. to me to me that that's not even it, it, the, the the fact that it's not 
it's logically the best option. We all know it and it's not happening. It's, it's just because of the, the lobby power of like insurance companies and yeah, things like that's that. That's right. That's the root of that problem right there. And th 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 there has to be a solution around that. I, yeah. I'm amazed to go, just, just to segue back a moment, as long as we're on the same subject. I'm amazed that students across the country haven't more effectively mobilized. Maybe it's because of the pandemic, haven't more effectively mm. mobilized. Given the fact that probably, probably September is a good time to stage a national mobilization to kill the student, to, to bury the student, something like that. Mm. I, I, you know, somebody's got to get the students going. I mean, I mean, yeah, they're all in the same. It's like it's like the old days. Miners all lived in the same communities. Students are all living in the same communities. You ought to be able to spread mm -hmm. the word and get this kind of thing going. Yeah, traditionally and, a, a vanguard. You would look like such a hero. Also, that's what I'm saying. Even from an ego standpoint. Oh yeah, you, right. You 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 erase student debt, and you gave people fifteen dollars an hour after this pandemic that was crippling to so many. Like you you would just you would be like. Captain America, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> you came with your cape and, and you gave people a whole bunch of yeah. things. And it's like, it would be an incredible thing. Mm. One thing also on my mind here, and I think, I think this kind of ties into the question of like, what, like say, why are, why isn't the student movement more cohesive and whatnot? I think, I think obviously we're living in a really atomized world online where everyone's just kind of self-promoting. They got their own self-brand. By the way, please follow Night Rule on Twitter at PodRule and at patreon.com slash Night Rule. Latest mixtape now out. Um, so I'm not even above it, uh, but I wonder one, one problem that I see that I really want to see someone figure out a way to thread the needle on this. Um, anyway, Isaac, Isaac, go ahead. You, you want to move into it. You want to get a, a sweatshirt going because, you know, night rule would be mm. a hit. I mean, that's, that's true. Cute, actually, that would look know? good. That would look good on some clothing. No question. Yeah. Um, sure. but one, <laughs> one thing I'm seeing is, um, especially in the online left, especially independent media, there is a little bit of a push in some circles to kind of prove who's the most pure, quote unquote, lefty. I kind of reject the, the term leftist or lefty. I think it's too imprecise. I want to know what you actually mm -hmm. stand for. Um, and you have people really making a lot of hay, criticizing people in the squad, especially AOC is a huge lightning rod for people. I mean, people are building little miniature independent media careers, just criticizing yeah. her. And I, well, I'm looking at this from the sidelines and I'm saying, okay, well, I, I want to be a voice of moderation. I want to say, you know, you can't expect everything from this person as, or this group as soon as they get into Congress. But it's really difficult to be put in that position because, you know, the neoliberals have been saying we need to be, we need to moderate ourselves. We need to manage our expectations. And I think it's really tricky for people on the progressive left to, to be able to make that argument. But how do we get people to focus on maybe some political figures that would be a little more intuitive to focus their attention on people like uh, Schumer or Pelosi or Manchin. Like I would much rather see everyone lining up to criticize and push these types of people rather than Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, AOC. Well, Sh Schumer, I think is more pushable than people realize. Mm. Um, he's actually a champion of the student debt question, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he is, uh, he is. Yeah, so and, so, and that matters. And I, I'm willing to bet that there are folks, there are folks in the House and the Senate who are far more committed to Medicare for all than we realize, and you know they, but they need to be, they, they need to be encouraged to be more aggressive on that. Um, I, I, I got, I'm going to work on. The, look, I'll give you an example. We have a senator. We have two senators from Wisconsin, as do all the states. One of whom 
is nothing more than an utterly disgusting reactionary Republican. His name is Ron Johnson. Okay. But our other, our other senator, talk about schizophrenic states, is, is a lesbian progressive, Tammy Baldwin. Okay. Imagine in the state of Wisconsin, and they're all get they're all appealing to the same electorate, and yet we're sending these two utterly, utterly different kinds of senators. Well, Tammy Baldwin is a, is a good person, okay, but she's not exactly a dynamic, a dynamic figure as a senator. As somehow or other, I think we Democrats in Wisconsin, we're going to have to sort of energize her, or find find someone else, you know, not to replace her. We're going to have to find a more dynamic figure to run against Ron Johnson, which is, which is probably going to be coming up sooner than I realize, because what you really do need is you need look. I have criticisms of Bernie, none of which would keep me from voting for him. I mean, no one's above criticism. Right. Everyone needs to be, you know, right. no one's sacrosanct. Right. Obviously, very but, childish. But, to say but we need about. more people. We need more people like Bernie, who are outspoken and assertive and aggressive. We need more Brooklyn Jews, maybe, in the, in the Senate. <laughs> uh, I mean, even this huge, guy. Mark, we need a huge Brooklyn Jew caucus. Yeah, huge. I mean, we, we have Mark, you know, Marky all of a sudden. Is that his name from Massachusetts? Marky? Mark, was he that you know? Sounds right. Just got reelected again. Yeah, yeah, he, I think he, so. That twerp of a character, that young Kennedy guy who was in the in the house, mm. um, and and Markey himself is not a, is not a, a historic progressive. He moved to the left, part, mm. in good part encouraged by AOC. Somebody ought to really uh, remember that. I mean, they're, together mm. they're the ones who launched the Green New Deal project. Mm. And so there are, there, not unlike him, there must be others out there who, who we can sort of encourage to be more, mm. more forceful. Would you, would you agree? Me. Would you agree, Napoleon, that politicians are perhaps a little more movable now than in uh, the recent past? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I think that probably by definition, politicians are movable because they, they, they well, want to yeah. win and they need to win unless they're in a position where they just think they have it on lock. That's, that's when they, they start kind of like, but if they feel like they're threatened, they, they, they have to move or else they, they're going to be out of office. There's not, there's very few politicians that are just stand for what they really stand for when they stand to lose. That That's that's a rare thing. It's just not human nature. It's not politicians nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I, I think that with that, what you were saying earlier is that I mean, somebody like me, all that criticism, like the, the AOC, the squad bashing and all that, I don't fall for it. Like, it doesn't even interest me when they when when that's I, what I feel. That's all you're doing on your platform. You're using the platform to bash like progressives or bash people who are are new to have good energy, to have fresh energy, to have fresh ideas. It's like but unfortunately, they, they do influence uh people who who jump in that bandwagon and 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 i think make it a little bit more difficult for the cause in in general and they they have the right to criticize but it's just that sometimes it's um i don't know like either we got we we have to call it out but you know if we do call it out they're gonna say we're cancer we're we're, you know doing cancel culture or whatever but um it's I don't think it's smart. I don't think it's smart. I think it's self-serving. It's like people looking for clicks, people looking for subscribers, people looking for Patreons, <laughs> and uh, not all um, leftist uh, media is created equal. Mm, yeah. I think it's a real challenge, honestly, because I, I take a lot of hope in the growth of independent media and new voices and, and, and more interesting conversations that are taking place in general. But I also really worry about this whole holier-than-thou 
all these there's all these elements of human nature that get maximized um, under the current kind of social media landscape. It's really additive. There's no there's no careful consideration and kind of subtraction with things. Um, and then nothing like the vibe. The vibe the vibe is bad too. Sorry to add in. It's just, it just doesn't feel right. It's just like, what what type of energy are you guys on? Like, this is like, you guys are so cliquish, like you're in the, the leftist VIP section or something like that. Get out of here. This is not <laughs> yeah. what we're about here. We're about the people. We're about love. We're about trying to help people out that don't, don't that, that are struggling, things like that. That's the values. You guys are on some like elitist, leftist, pseudo like weird stuff. Like, I, I just, yeah. I don't like it. I, I just don't like the way it feels. I think a lot of it also comes down to like the people who are recent converts being kind of the most enthusiastic and the least um, kind of self-reflective about things too. I see a little bit of that as well. Well, they they need to, they need to take more time and and I get it because sometimes you discover something and you're enthusiastic or you're in awe with with a personality or with something. I I get like that too on YouTube. It it could be on any subject. Totally. Then you realize after you keep listening, you realize, okay, the, that person might not be what I thought they were at first, or you start seeing through certain things. I think uh, quite a few people are going through that process right now. And I hope they, they end up really seeing the light and getting with the, the serious people, you know, like mm-hmm. you want to be, get, be entertained. Fine. Do that. But th- there's, there's people that are serious with this and that are entertaining too, that do it well, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I, you know, I'll just say, and this, this is how Napoleon and I met what's transpired in light of you know all that stuff that we were just referring to is just another sign of how much michael is missed because you know i can tell you that i mean i i was in a in a universe that didn't necessarily didn't necessarily include the, the, the kind of stuff of youtube shows and podcasts i mean i did that stuff but and i did shows but michael really sort of you know sort of brought brought me in and made me aware of, of all that stuff going on. Keep in mind how, how much older I am than, than the average folks out there. And I can tell you that when I would talk to Michael, you know, off air or on the phone or in text, he was agonizing already about what he saw as a kind of emer- that emerging cancel culture on the left. I mean, it was killing him. And, you know, to give you an example of, of, of how bizarre it became. So I introduced um, Crystal Ball and Michael, okay? And he then became a regular and then I was doing Rising too. But it was also the case that I think it, given what transpired with he who shall not be named and his attacks on AOC and the squad, the divide just just exploded. And, you know, so, so you know, my sense is that Crystal generally was, was, was not unsympathetic perhaps to the to the Jimmy Dore stuff and Brie who and Michael was fairly close to, to Brie I mean I, I can't help but imagine that my, either Michael would have retreated truly retreated into meditation or he would have or I hope with my encouragement in Napoleon's he might well have sort of made it all the more the point of not allowing that divide to grow as it did mm. and as it has yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a lamentation on my part to say that I, I, in Michael's absence, one realizes Michael's energy all the more, okay? Because yeah, who, who else could do that? Like, he was that type of unifying force, and he had yeah. that type of charisma to actually uh, in, in, um, call, 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 call us out for, for you know, for not, not being 
on in the right direction and not in in wasting our times and things that are counterproductive. Yeah. And I I I, I don't see who's who's in a position to be able to do that and, and effectively right. right now. Yeah. And it, it's just up to us to 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 really sift through and keep 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 I I think it's a vibe thing, man. Like I, I feel certain vibes where it's it's like this is this is not where this is just self-serving and this is mm. not we're about trying to improve each other, support each other, do what's that's how I I I met Harvey K. Like, you know, and 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 you know, became great friends and brothers. I've learned so much from him, but there's that support thing, you know. There's that if I I know somebody has my back, and I think knowing that we have each other's back and having that vibe, we're gonna bring more people in. We're gonna engage with more people, and more people is gonna is gonna want to trust us. If we're constantly being catty and doing this and that, half the time I don't even I don't even understand what they're fighting about. Like sometimes yeah. I'm like I don't yeah. I don't understand your terminology. I don't know what planet you guys. Somebody's getting based. Somebody's racial. This that I don't know what you guys are talking about. I, it, it doesn't happen on my block where you know where I, when I walk and I talk to people, they wouldn't understand what the hell I'm saying. So you guys are in your little bubble, you know, coddling your 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 your, your fan base or your following. But uh, we we have to be beyond that. We're better than that. There's more important things to do. And, and, and the time is now. We, can, we can't, we can't be, uh, have confused energy going forward. Mm. I think it speaks to kind of like some of the nuances even just in human communication because, you know, you look at someone like Michael Brooks, I'd say, you know, David Griscom and Matt Leck, Ben Burgess, Nomiki, Nomiki Conster, people that are kind of carrying on the tradition. I think there's like a metadata to communication. You know, if you go to a stand-up comedian show and watch him for 30 minutes, he may be saying the most crazy shit but after a while, you observe anybody, you can start to tell, you kind of get this impulse about, like you say, their vibe, where they're coming from. And with someone like Michael Brooks or any of those other people I mentioned, you know, you can really tell if you listen to them long enough, they embrace complexity, they have compassion, they have tolerance, they, ha they, they have understanding, they're not dismissive of other people. Um, whereas you look at some other commentator, you listen to them long enough, you can really start to tell, okay, they're really just, they have an ax to grind here, they have something they're trying to sell, they're trying to get people incensed and you can just, you can just tell when they're not going further than that. And I, I have, I'm going to take some hope from that, that fact that I think even amongst all the propaganda, all the miseducation, all the despair and desperation, distractions, ego, people are still capable of picking up that kind of metadata from a conversation. At least that's my hope. You, we can feel that, that if, you, if you don't mind me saying the asshole energy, you know what I'm saying? Like, you just kind of feel it. You're like, I don't One of my favorite words, out. by the way. <laughs> I'm not Michael Brooks, man. <laughs> I, I punch harder, but no, nah, I just like, it's, it's just not, it's just, it's not some, it's not people I feel comfortable really around like that. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that we, we, we need to do better when it comes to that in, in order for us to move and, and keep growing or else we're, we're just gonna destroy destroy ourselves from within which is like at least at least like lose from the outside we could accept that you know but if we're losing from within it's like it's just stupid yeah yeah no and tragic and just heartbreaking to see um so hopefully we can mitigate that um we should wind it down here zoom is going to cut us off in a few more minutes i can't daisy chain another call actually um but uh, I'm so glad I was able to get you guys both on uh, mic today. I actually got the schedule wrong with Harvey. I thought it was last week. It ended up kind of just a happy accident that we got you both. But um, such a pleasure. You know, honestly, I, I first it, came it, across it, both it, of you guys on the Michael Brooks show. So it's surreal to even. Now, Napoleon and I, you know, Napoleon and I have been 
well, we have we have daily communication. And I didn't know that you were trying to get us both. Or I, I know I would have said, oh, God, definitely have us both on at the same mm. time. Mm. It was the first time we actually got on a show together. Yeah, absolutely. We, saw, we watch wow. each other, you know, all the time. We comment about each other. Right. But it's, yeah. it's the first time. And I'm very happy. It's actually the first time we actually, because we usually more on text and things like that. Yeah, right, mm. right. So it's, right. it's good to finally see you in, in exchange in, in, in like oh, Absolutely. In fact, we should demand, you know, have the, we were saying what how to... What should we press Biden on? We need to press all these show people to have us on together. Just add it to yeah, your yeah. runner. Yeah. Yeah. You start you started a trend night rule. Let's let's hope you started something good. Yeah. Hope so. People um, ideas. Where can uh, where can people follow you? We'll start. Not, with you you know, know what I was oh, got go a kick out of was when I used to do shows with Isaac, I'd say, Isaac, show me your face. Cause he would he would he wouldn't show me his face. And he it was he talked as if talked as if I would be horrified at the, at his face. I'm the one who's horrified. But no yeah. man, you're 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 a handsome. You both are handsome guys. You shouldn't even hesitate. Oh, okay? <laughs> Getting hot on Mike. The campus rogue is giving us compliments. Um, okay, well, uh, but uh, just really quickly, uh, where can people follow you guys, and what what can they look forward to coming up with you? Napoleon, want to start with you? Uh, you can follow me on uh, Instagram, Team NDL. Twitter is the same thing, same handle. Uh, NapoleonDALegend.com. You can see, you know, my music, videos, interviews, all types of things. I have uh, an EP coming out called The Hole in My Heart Part 3 right now. Uh, on Friday, actually. And awesome. a lot more projects. So check that out. Awesome. Will do. Can't wait. Harvey. I'm at HarveyJK on Twitter. And uh, I don't, I'm nowhere else. I mean, very, there, is very, a, there is a Facebook page, but I literally have never used it. So uh, yeah. don't waste. People should not waste their time. I, I don't even I don't even remember my password on Twitter. So on uh, Facebook. <laughs> on Facebook. Yeah, forget Facebook. And you're quite uh, you're, you're quite active on Twitter. Napoleon, you're pretty active, too. So people should definitely check you guys out. Yeah, and I try to welcome there. everyone who follows me. So mm. you know, it, to keep it lively. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, gentlemen, such a pleasure to converse with you. I really appreciate the time. Um, best of luck with all of your current projects and um, I'll shoot you a link or shoot you a link when this is out and hopefully we can do it again very soon. I'm more than happy to have you both on Ensemble next time as well. Oh, very okay. good. Excellent. Merci. Excellent. Thank so, you. Yeah. Have a nice day, gentlemen. Talk to you soon. You Take care.